suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and uh, <laughs> killed his family with an axe. Stacked them neatly in one of the rooms of the West Wing, and uh, then he, uh, he put uh, both barrels of a shotgun in his mouth. Police, uh, I thought that it was what the old timers used to call cabin fever. Well, that is uh, quite a story. Hello and welcome to Original Remake, the podcast where we discuss an original film and its remake. Well, not always, Mike. Sometimes we don't talk about a remake. Peter, that's the name of the show, Original Remake. Well, yeah, but what I meant was the remake featured on the show is a sequel, a, a reboot, or unofficial retelling of the same story. So you're saying we're remaking the premise of this podcast? Yes, because just like Hollywood, on Original Remake, we are that unoriginal. Well, we are doing a movie podcast, Peter, so... Yeah. So joining me for this episode is an official, I think official, Stephen King expert, at least in my world uh, she is. This is Margot D. Uh, from Book vs. Movie, who has covered quite a bit of Mr. King's work on screen and in book form. So thank you so much for uh, coming to school me on this particular episode on The Shining. Thank you so much for having me on your show again. So I think this one's a, a you know probably going to be a, a tough hill. So I'm hoping that you're going to be able to to give people some some good points about the miniseries version because uh, Kubrick's film adaptation is a uh, a certified classic in the horror genre. But before we get into that, uh, tell people a little bit about your podcast, what you've been up to on there, and uh, where they can uh, listen to your show. Maybe a, a new episode that you would like to start them off on. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. So we're Book versus Movie, the podcast that talks about films that are adapted from books. So we read the book, we watch the movie, and we decide which we like better, the book or the movie. And every time we do this, we put it out on Twitter, somebody goes, duh, the book is always better than the movie. <laughs> and Margot, my co-host is also named Margot, by the way, we always say, really? Have you read Jaws? And we're actually doing Jaws on our next episode. We've done it before, but we, it was the old way we used to record things. So we're going to redo our Jaws episodes. That That's coming out next. So that's the thing I'm really, really excited about. I'm looking forward to that. And I, I'm somewhat of a, an older listener, or at least I came around and, and loved your show so much that I started going back uh, to the older episodes. And so you, you've definitely progressed as far as the, the sound quality. Uh, but <laughs> Thank you. I, I think I'm going to start a fan <laughs> podcast for your show where I compare the original versions of those older episodes to the newer one. And, uh, you know, we'll just, we'll just talk it out. We'll see what the fans say about book versus movie, the reboot. Uh, oh, I look forward so to that. Uh, I've, I've been a guest on your show for, for the listeners of this podcast. And I believe the first time you had me on, we, we talked about 112263. So another yep. Stephen King adaptation here. And I really wanted to talk with you uh, about this because this really is like getting a filmed version of the book, like a more accurate representation of Stephen King's novel, The Shining, uh, going up against one that took a considerable artistic license with a uh, the similar premise and some of the, the similar uh, horrific situations. So uh, I guess my first question to you is, you know, as a Stephen King fan, how do, how do you separate the two as far as the Stanley Kubrick version 
uh, and the the televised uh, miniseries where King got to finally do his his more accurate version of the two. Do you do you look at them as just two separate things, or do you lean one way or the other as a, as a fan of Stephen King's work? So I'm a big fan of Stephen King. I have been since I was ten years old. I think I told you this before. I went kind of from Judy Bloom to Stephen King. I don't know why Naturally, I made that of jump. Course. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> just kind of the weirdo that I am. I first experienced The Shining as the movie, not the book. I, I've read a few of his books before, and there's Salem's Lot. There's a few others that I read, and then I saw the movie. So for me, The Shining will always, unfortunately, be the Stanley Kubrick version. That's always going to be the thing that I that stands out in my head. And by the way, I'm a horror fan, and I love that movie, and I think it's a brilliant movie. I get why people are upset, because it's not the Stephen King version. The Stephen King version is much more internalized. So Stephen King's big problem with the Stanley Kubrick version is that Jack Nicholson shows up and he's clearly nuts the, day, from day one. You know, the time he shows up for that interview, there's something wrong with this guy. Well, Why would you the, put this person? Go ahead. Even the car ride up with the family, he seems like he's already ready to kill his wife and child on the drive up before before the you know the cabin fever sets in. Uh, he what? he seems a bit unhinged already. He already seems there's something off his rocker. I mean, the, the minute he shows up for the interview, he's like super animated and, and into the job. And it's like, you're going to be in this place for six or seven months with no outside contact in the world. And this is 1980. Okay. <laughs> there is no internet. There is no nothing else. I mean, I think, I don't know how old you are, but do you remember like, like my dad used to go on the roof of our house and move the antenna around when we couldn't get reception? <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm of, you're a little uh, younger than me. Yeah. I, I'm a little younger, but I'm, I'm still, uh, you know, I'm, I feel old because, uh, I really like the, I guess the generation that I'm a part of because, uh, I think we got dial up internet right as I was becoming like a teenager, maybe like 12 or 13. Okay. So it's like, I remember a time before these big advances, uh, with computers and phones. Like I didn't have a, a cell phone until I went to, to college, uh, and even then it was like, you know, one of those brick Nokia's that was awesome at the time, but <laughs> I didn't have a smartphone until like 2010. So I'm, I'm very much of two worlds there. So seeing that, uh, yeah, I think that's an excellent point because I think that very much Kubrick was interested in the, the cabin fever aspect of it. But one thing right. you, you just mentioned kind of, cause there's something that bothered me about the miniseries, which I, I have not seen since I was a teenager. And I, I really adored it, uh, when it originally aired on ABC, because no, I, I did. I I really felt like I was getting to see. I'm sorry. Like, no, really. <laughs> I really thought I was getting to see like the the real version uh, of Stephen King's, and so I, I was I was excited about that. Like you know, I I liked I, I think the Stand a few years before, but you have to keep in mind I had not read either one of them at that time. Mm -hmm. So I just thought you know I thought you know and that's also speaking to my age. You know, this is pre uh, HBO and Sopranos sort of revitalizing television. And so getting like a Stephen King, like three parter over three nights was appointment television for me as a teenager, as a kid. So seeing The Shining, I still had fond memories before I watched it this weekend. I had forgotten how long it is. Oh, my God. It is it is uh, punishingly uh, long. But I'm watching it with my wife and we had just watched the film recently as well. And that that interview sequence that you mentioned, you know, the way Jack acts, he's not really called out. It's like people just think he's like a cool guy. Like they're just like sort of they're in the locker room, just patting him on the back. They just think he's just awesome. And as you said, clearly there's something that would throw you off a little bit about this guy. 
But in the miniseries version, you have, uh, you know, this, this at the time, comedic actor from Wings who is getting dressed down by Elliot Gould almost from, like, the word go. I don't suppose you care much for me, Mr. Torrance. Few on my staff do, I imagine. They regard me as a bit of a bastard. They're right. One has to be a bit of a bastard. And it's, it was interesting to watch the two so close together because you feel like that sequence, that reaction, should have been the guy hiring Jack Nicholson. Should have, should have been the guy saying, there's something wrong with you, and I think this is a mistake. But in the film version, they're like, okay, good. Uh, go with God. This sounds this sounds great. You, you pass with flying colors. So there are certain elements of the miniseries, watching as an adult, that I think like – they maybe they're more accurate to the book, but I, I feel like with the casting and definitely with the visual effects, uh, it just comes off as really goofy. It comes off as very misplaced, even if it is accurate to the page. If you know what I mean. I think I do. So just to give just to give things some context. So the original book comes out in 1977 or 78. I'm sorry, I don't know, don't know the exact date, but he Stephen King had a problem with alcohol, and then he was at this hotel. And with his wife, and it was like the last day they were staying at this hotel and before it goes away for the winter. And they said, well, why don't you just stay open for the winter? This is going to be great skiing. You're like, oh, no, no, it's like way too much. You know, you can't get out of the hotel. There's going to be all this these problems. So this is where Stephen King gets his idea for the book. What if the guy is staying there and he has an alcohol problem like Stephen King had that at that time and is trying to be, you know, a dry drunk, like to like deal with his problems without going to meetings, without doing, you know, dealing with it properly and what would happen. And so he always was upset about the movie because the movie was Jack Nicholson shows up. He's immediately a crazy person. He shows up. He's Jack Nicholson. You know, he's not Jack. He's not the person that you think of in the book. So when he goes crazy, it's not that far of a drop. You know what I mean? It just, it just, of course it's going to happen. Whereas in the book, and the book is, it's a great book, but it's very, very long. I mean, Jack spiral into this problem takes a very long time to get to. So in the book, it's all about Jack has to deal with his alcoholism. And then in the end, he sacrifices himself to save his family. Whereas in the movie, he's a wacko from the start, you know, and he's just dying for a drink. And then he just winds up dead in the bushes, you know, frozen to death. So Stephen King always had a problem with that. He said, you know, no, no, no. It was a, it was a personal story for Stephen King. Stephen King really felt like he was that person, Jack Torrance. So when he saw it was Jack Nicholson playing Jack Torrance, he felt that was, it was a misfire. And so he wanted to correct that. Now, the problem is... It's 1997. It's 20 years later. Stephen King is not only not using alcohol anymore, he's not using cocaine. Cocaine, excuse me. So he's been sober and, and drug-free for a while. Well, he has a different attitude about things. His kids are older. His attitude is older. So his, his idea about Jack is different than the one that he created in the book. So he thinks he's making the original book version. He's not. He's making a, a, a version that's two decades later from the book version. So it's like this Disney version of Jack Torrance that we're being presented versus the book version versus the, the Stanley Kubrick version. So we're just, like, you sit there and like, well, who is this guy? And it's like the Wings guy. Well, I'm not scared of Stephen Weber. I love Stephen Weber. I'm very attracted to Stephen Weber. I'm not scared of him. So what's the point of him? And apparently he was high. They wanted to get Tim Daly, his co-star from Wings. <laughs> And he couldn't get available at the time. 
So he recommends Stephen Weber, and Stephen Weber like really lobbied for the part. They had nobody up to like a week before they made this TV miniseries. So Stephen Weber just kind of got it out of default, and so that's our Jack Torrance. It's it's a shame because I and you know I, I don't want to I don't want to spend the entire time just knocking uh, Stephen Weber here, but there's definitely when you're going to spend four and a half hours with this character, you're going to need a little bit more nuance. If you're going mm-hmm. to, as you said, try to uh, project this this slow burn, uh, this this slow defeat that he's going to have when he's he's consumed by his impulses uh, and, and madness, being being stuck in this hotel that is is haunted. And I I felt upon rewatch, I'm like, wow, they really they really don't get that because mm-hmm. there are just there are wild swings where all of a sudden I f- I feel like he's doing he's a, he's doing a version or doing like almost like a very loose impression of Jack Nicholson uh, when he's, he's sort of banging around on the doors. And, and obviously, I mean, it's the same story, so you're going to hit some of the same beats. But I felt like if you're going to do a longer take, a TV take, you don't necessarily have to, to go that big like when he when he lashes out. And, you know, it, it's not it's not a very nuanced look at alcoholism. I think that's interesting no. what you brought up because uh, it does feel a bit, Disney fight and most of it I, I I had not considered that it was maybe King's um changing outlook uh you know as, as a much older man with with grown children uh because I'm assuming when he wrote the book you know writing about himself and his own issues he's scared of of this sort of monster inside of him in a way and it, like just mm-hmm. letting go of control like what you know if he if he gives in to his addictions what could happen and that that is that's terrifying for anyone even if you don't have share those particular uh addictions but this, I mean, any time that his alcoholism is brought up by uh, his wife, who is played by Rebecca DeMonet here, or like you get a flashback to like a meeting he's going to, it feels very after school lectury. And it's, it's interesting because, yeah, the film version is not really about an alcoholic. Um, no. It is, it really is. It just seems like this crazy person, given the ending of the film, was just destined to go be crazy in this hotel. Like that's, that's where whatever his spirit or whatever was, was tied to. And yeah, I was, I was, I, I say what, Margo, I, I really like talking to you, but man, I wish I had not watched the miniseries again because I had such fond <laughs> memories of it. As a kid, I was, I always remembered because I was like, well, it was like a sweeter version and it was about a father who, as you said, he sacrifices. He, he actually inside uh, of that, that very bad, vile person he becomes uh, possessed and consumed. He's still, there's something in him that cares and gives his family a chance to escape. Uh, and I was looking forward to seeing that again, but I also had to watch, you know, four hours and change to lead up to that, that sort of climactic sweet moment. Uh, and it doesn't work. And it's interesting. I went back to, to think maybe I was just a stupid kid, which I know it was a stupid kid, but I want to justify my feelings for this and my affection for this miniseries. And it got really good reviews at the time. Like I was looking up stuff and it's like, you know, it was nominated for, for different uh, Emmys. Entertainment Weekly, I think, gave it like an A- minus or something, like saying it was like a, one of the most mm-hmm. horrifying television experiences. And now you're watching it, and it's like, you know, a lot of it's the scares... It's a horrifying experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of the scares come from these, uh, you know, these these animals, this 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 the, the shrubbery that constantly is moving around. And it just none of it works. This The really early CGI effects, especially for TV with... Uh, you know, a toothy uh, fire hose. Uh, I just, I just, um, I was watching it and my wife kept looking at me and judging me because he was like, why do you own this? And why are you going to do a half of our podcast? I'm like, well, I really like Margot. So this will be fun. It'll be fun. 
<laughs> oh, great. Put it all on me. So, so, so tell me, you have this on a DVD or something? Yeah, I found this at a used bookstore uh, a couple of years ago. I mean, so I didn't spend much, but I, I was just like, I was sort of just amazed because it was one of those things where I didn't even know if it had made it to video, uh, you know, some of those, those things from, from TV. And yeah. so, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's not a very nice uh, box set because I think the first uh, two parts share the same disc. So it's one of those DVDs where you have to like yeah. flip it like a laser disc, which I always hate. Um, but apparently it's got a, an exhaustive commentary track on all three parts, which I, I just have to admit to my dear listeners, uh, I will not be doing further research on this. <laughs> so probably going to skip that. But uh, yeah, I, I own a copy of this and my wife uh, is probably still judging me for that fact that I put it back on the shelf. <laughs> I remember being very upset about it. It came on TV and it was three nights, three nights of this crap. I mean, why? It could have been too easily. But, you know, the stand was three nights. And by the way, the stand is great two nights, not three nights. There's a there's a lot of the stand that could be re fixed. Here's the problem. We said Disney fight over, over and over again. Disney bought ABC. So it didn't buy ABC when there was Twin Peaks on there in 1990. Mm. Disney wasn't there when The Stand was there in 1993, 1994 when they made The Stand. It was there when they made this movie. So Disney has a big thing. You know, you can't show a child in Jeopardy. It's like the old Hayes Code. Mm. Like Disney has very strict codes. So that's why you don't see very daring stuff on ABC anymore like, or, or at that time. So ABC said, no, you can't put the kid that much in jeopardy, which is the whole point of the book and the movie. I mean, or, and the Kubrick movie. Mm -hmm. they, they were both. He's not that much in jeopardy. And by the way, that actor that plays him. Oh, my God, that poor kid. Cortland Mead. <laughs> I looked him up because uh, I'm always I'm always fascinated by like child actors. Like, hey, whatever happened to him? Like, did they stick with it or are they just like a farmer somewhere? How now? are his teeth? Uh, I think he looked fine in his whatever picture he had, but it's like uh, the last like sort of like known uh, appearance from him on the internet. I think was from like a MySpace page, so it's you know I don't think it's like incredibly current. But his like bio uh, on the Where Are They Now article I looked at said uh, the quote was "I'm a washed up child actor," and that was oh it. no, don't say that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so but I won't say too much about his performance. I'm gonna leave it alone. I'm gonna leave it alone. He's just a kid. I, I'm sorry. He's born in 1987. He's 30 years old now, but I'm just going to leave him alone. I, he's not my. I mean, the, the Danny Lloyd who played Danny from the movie, the original movie, was I thought it was a fantastic actor. Well, and, he actually seems like a kid, as opposed. Yeah, to he one. was a kid. Yeah, this the, one. Well, the the one of the miniseries has some really weird dialogue. I don't know. I, I should ask you: Is that in the book? Like he he speaks like an adult who's taking like college courses on like family therapy at times. Okay. I, I mean, are we supposed to believe that that's you know that's Tony? That's, that's no. putting his. Where does that come from? Because the, the Kubrick version is definitely reacting as a child, you know, like where he can't really express to his parents exactly what he's seeing. But there's a sequence in the miniseries where uh, his parents have are arguing. Uh, Rebecca De Mornay is in the the elevator, and she throws out a mask, saying like basically saying, "Hey, there's some sort of presence here. Where did this come from?" And he puts it on and talks about how he wants to become a different person, like stepping outside of himself in this this crisis in between the family because he doesn't want to deal with it. And I'm like, what kid that age would know? Like they might have that feeling, but they would not be able to express it in that particular way. And that, okay. I mean, I, I love the, the Kubrick version just because I, I feel the terror of that little kid on his little, his little bike. You know, he just, he yeah. just reacts with his face and talks with his finger. I mean, just, just, you know, that's yeah, probably even Tony, more than I could Tony. do. Yeah. Yeah. So Stephen King, so we, he wrote this in 1977. He was still drinking. He was just starting to use drugs, but he was telling his family he was going to quit. Right. 
So that's how he's writing the book then. So fast forward 20 years later, he's 20 years older. The kids are 20 years older. He doesn't, he's still pissed off from 1981 or 80, whenever that film came out with, with Stanley Kubrick. He, he's been hating on it all these years. Mm-hmm. And he can't crap about it. That's the thing in the contract with ABC. He was not allowed to say anything bad about the, Steve, the Stanley Kubrick version. Okay? So he just had to create his own version. So he took his source material, which, by the way, is great. And there should be a movie about The Shining, the book. Yeah, I'll see that. I won't see this shit again, but I would see that movie in a second. He took it all and changed it. So now Cortland Mead, our actor, oh my God, he's just, he's not the kid that was in the book. He became a whole other kid. And it's like the 1990s. So the kid is like walking around like, hey, you know, so his mother, uh, Winifred, Wendy, she's like, hey, did he get the job? Yeah, he got the job. Everybody's okay that he's psychic. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It should not be totally the case. Yeah. yeah, they're totally comfortable. It's not weird, which was the whole freaking point in the book, that this kid was an outsider because he was a psychic. And even his own parents thought that was strange. I thought he needed help for that. So it's just, he, he made all, Stephen King himself hated the version that Stanley Kubrick shot. So 17 years later, rewrote it, but wrote a crappier version of what he had. So what, what am I supposed to think of this? I, I think there is a universe for the Stanley Kubrick version, and there's a universe for the 1977 novel adapted into a film. They absolutely should both exist. They just have not yet. Mm. Well, what do you make of of an artist? Like you, you mentioned how deeply personal this particular work was for Stephen King, where the, the I mean the, the story is basically filmed but they remove the personal aspects of it because, you know, to Stanley Kubrick, you know, that that's obviously not personal. As far as I know, he's just using this as a horror property. Like it has to be painful from Stephen King's perspective to see himself sort of stripped out of his own, of his own work. But yet Stanley Kubrick's version is uh, a masterpiece. And so it's, right. it's become this, it, it's other, this other thing that doesn't really have anything to do with the original intent of King writing the novel and yet, I, I would think even if we get a better version uh, of Stephen King's actual novel, uh, you know, unlike you know this, the upcoming It, uh, which is is getting a lot of buzz, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Even if they do a better film version of The Shining, it will probably never replace Kubrick's version in sort of the pop culture conscious. I don't think. I, I think it's probably too iconic at this point to to completely move that out of people's head. There, there's always going to be a comparison to Kubrick's film, right? And I think that was that's what pisses him off. You know, can you imagine creating something that you think is, by the way, the most closely identified to you personally, and somebody taking it and doing something completely different, and then have, have everybody in the world think that's the version of your story? That would piss me off too. I mean, it, it would bother me, but. At some point, like you can't control everything in the universe. Like it's just, and it's weird because he's very sort of hands off. With I mean, there's been a lot of really bad film versions, and I've I've read some stuff where he's like, you know, mm-hmm. that they're they're movies, they're their own thing. My book still exists. I'm fine with it. And it's it is weird that the the Kubrick version, I guess, because it is so deeply personal, is something he's really he has spouted off about. Um, and one thing he has spouted off about, I I agree with 
a lot. And, you know, to be fair, you and I have discussed the Shining previously on, on one of my other podcasts, War Machine versus War Horse, uh, the Kubrick version. And one of the main sort of points of contention we had with the film on that discussion was how Shelley Duvall was not only treated in real life, but how the, that character is treated on film uh, mm-hmm. as someone who is in a constant state of panic and, and horror. Now, she ultimately uh, does, you know, save her family, save her child. But for the most part, she is a punching bag throughout the film, probably much like Shelley DePaul was on, on set for, for Kubrick. Right. Um, and so I agree with, with King where he was saying that, you know, he wanted his version to present a much stronger uh, female presence, a, a protector as the, the wife and mother here. Do you think he succeeded in, in that regard with this, this the miniseries version? Absolutely. I mean, Wendy in the book is much stronger. And Stephen King's wife is Tabitha Spruce. I love that name so much, Tabitha Spruce. But anyway, she's a very strong woman. She's not, you know, somebody mealy-mouthed or just going to sit in the sidecar and not say anything. She's a very strong woman. And Stephen King loves her because she's a strong woman. His his mother was a very strong woman. So I'm sure it drove him crazy to watch his Wendy turn into this whiny mess that Stanley Kubrick did to her. And that's Stanley Kubrick's fault. I mean, that's Stanley Kubrick with, like, some woman issues going on. He and Jack Nicholson going on there. So I like Rebecca DeWarney. I think she's fantastic. I mean, she's she's much better, but she's also not given that much to do. I mean, she's fighting for Steven Weber, and I like Steven Weber, but in this movie, I'm like, really? You can't do any better than this guy that can't hold a job, that beats up his students in the parking lot? Like, you're gorgeous. I'm sorry, do you not own a mirror? You can, you can throw a rock and hit someone better for you than this asshole. Yeah, I don't think she would, you know, I would not project that her, her lot in life would be up snowed in uh, for six months with this, this guy no! checking on the, the boiler system and, uh, and, and, you know, managing their, their frozen food. So, um, no. and I, it's just, it's just difficult to, to watch, like even the, the sequences with the ghosts, like the, the, the bar sequence that is, that is so iconic in the Kubrick version, that conversation that Jack Nicholson has with the, with the bartender and just the look of those sequences, like how still and like cold everything is in that, that bathroom when he's having these conversations with previous tenants, previous uh, groundskeepers. And here it feels, it just feels so cheap. It feels like it's some dude's man cave that he's in. It's just so small. Yes. Uh, and it's, I don't know, it just, it just removes a lot of the charm, if that's the word for this haunted place. Like it, it doesn't really feel lived in. It feels like it's like a soap opera set. And I guess to like, to your point, if you're going, if you're going to do it again, I feel like King kind of missed his shot to get the, the Stephen King version here on, on screen. So, you know, what's really funny about this is that, so Stephen King stayed at a hotel, like I mentioned before, and the Overlook Hotel or that, that we want to call it, it was based in Colorado so Stanley Kubrick built it on a soundstage in London, and it looks like a real hotel. Yes. You really feel like you're there. This movie was filmed at the hotel Stephen King stayed at. You're kidding me. It I am not like freaking kidding you. Good and boy. it looks like garbage. That scene where he's in the pantry, mm-hmm. that's as big as my clo- You can't see me right now. My closet <laughs> behind me, it's as big as that closet. Like. What are you trapping him in? Like Jack Nicholson in the movie trapped in the pantry that, that, that with the steel door and Mm -hmm. everything, that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Those are stakes. Like that's a man who's unhinged. That's the only place you could put him. Steven Weber in a closet in this movie. It's a joke. It is like, it just looks ridiculous. And they use the real hotel. I mean, I think the grounds look really good, but like, 
Oh God, the, the whole thing with the hedges in the book, the hedges are really the topiaries that come to life. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. It's really spooky and creepy. And a lot of, like a lot of Stephen King stuff, when you try to imagine it and like bring it to life without CGI effects from 1997, if you saw that happening on your lawn, you would laugh your ass off. You wouldn't be scared for a second. Were they going to scrape me a little bit? Like, what's what's a hedge going to do to me, ultimately? Yeah, I would, right? just, I would just think I was high or something. That's what I would think. I drank too much. Like, yeah. that's all that is. And even then, they're just going to scratch me a little bit. They're not going to eat me. It's a, just a tree. What am I afraid of? And like, in the book, you're really scared of it. Like, oh, it changes shape. You turn around, it looks another shape. In the movie, it just, like, it doesn't work at all. And they make a big deal about, like, if you if you listen, take the time, and I've done this because I'm an asshole, excuse me, but <laughs> I've listened to the comments commentary from this before <laughs> and and somebody mick is it mick garris is the the director of this yes. movie mm-hmm. he says you know this is the first time they used advanced cgi effects in a movie I'm like really hmm. wow that 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 thing that's supposed to be terrifying the hose that comes off mm-hmm. the wall and has teeth it makes me giggle my ass off it's so lame yeah uh mr garris is is he like just buddies with uh, Stephen oh, King. Yeah. Does, I mean, does is there some sort of debt that King owes him? Because he this guy's made a career out of doing televised. He's done know, a bunch of them. Yeah, he did the Stand. He did the Langoliers. He's done a couple of others. His wife is always in them. So you, they're, they're 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 friends. But you wonder, like Stephen King is really the famous one, and Stephen King is like the executive producer, and it's Stephen King's The Shining. If right. you look at the title, Stephen King is all over this. It, it's interesting because I I've heard that he's like throughout his career he's uh given student filmmakers rights to film uh his Mm -hmm. books and stories as long as they don't uh commercially uh reproduce it like you know as a learning exercise and i think that's really cool and maybe my hope is that one day you know if he continues doing that that he's going to discover someone that has uh, a new take that can stand on its own outside of kubrick's version um but it's definitely not this it's not no. Mick Garris. It's not. It's not his version. But no, uh, it was. It was a success at the time. I mean, it, it's just something that I, I don't know. I, I do you know what was the last like King miniseries on network television? Because I know TNT. I think did Nightmares and Dreamscapes. I think like in the mid two thousands. And I know there was another. Yeah, they Salem did Salem's Lot. Lot. Yeah. Yeah, they did Salem's Lot, and then I'm not sure what else. This is, I think, the last one. Was this I the last ABC sort of event? That's. I, that's yeah. strange to me because um, I, I thought they would have kept doing it, but you know, maybe, it wasn't that successful. Maybe it, it was the it did advanced well CGI the first night. that uh, that <laughs> did yeah. them in <laughs> the high budget. You know, at the here. time, you know, at the time, and actually, by my roommate, by the way, was a a TV reporter for a, a magazine that went to like um, like Sundays. You would get a free like TV magazine mm-hmm. in your paper. This is like 20 years ago. Okay, but she wrote for one of those, so she had this movie. So I saw it on a cassette in my apartment like a month before everybody else. And I left after like an hour. And, I, and I'm and i a big Stephen King geek. And I was like, this is stupid and dumb. Like it's it's just not – and it did okay the first night. But after that, like the second and third night, like the ratings totally dropped. Well, I enjoyed it as a child. But um, <laughs> I mean the point of this I'm podcast you. <laughs> is that you know, childhood ends and the world becomes a very dark place very quickly. So – uh, I blame this miniseries <laughs> for that realization. 
uh, <laughs> I think that I think that'll do. We don't we don't want to bash any further and, and make me uh, depressed. No. But what makes me happy is that there's always another book versus movie uh, episode coming up. So Margo, once again, uh, tell listeners where they can find one of my favorite podcasts out there. Well, thank you so much. So I co-host with somebody named Margo. So I'm Margo D. She's Margo P. And we talk about films that are adapted from books. And if you're looking for us, you go into your wherever you find your podcast. You type in book. VS movie podcast and that's where you'll find us and we have a ton of Stephen King shows on there but if you're on social media you follow us you write out book versus and movie and that's especially on Facebook and Twitter it's the best place to reach us and thank you so much for giving that opportunity and we thank you for giving us the opportunity to reside in your earbuds uh, at least for a half hour or so you can find more of our episodes on followingfilms.com alongside my other movie podcast War Machine versus War Horse and if you would like to find us on social media, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Original Remake, or you can email us suggestions at OriginalRemakePod at gmail.com. I'm Michael Denniston. I'm on all social media at War Machine Horse. My co-host Peter will be back next time as we look to cover yet another Stephen King film, this time the new release It versus another Stephen King television miniseries. Albeit this one, I believe, is a little bit more fondly remembered than The Shining. Uh, we'll see when we revisit them. So hopefully you will join us for that. And uh, then I think that'll that'll wrap us for Stephen King for the year. Midnight were the stars and you Midnight and a rendezvous Your eyes held a message tender Saying I surrender all my love to